uh, oftentimes, not oftentimes, every morning that I preach, um, I go to my study in, at my house, and uh, I have my NASB Bible here, and I have my other NASB Bible, Gary, uh, in my office at the church. Did you hear that, Josh, NASB? Just making sure you heard that. But the, the, the cool thing about the NASB Bible that I have in my office is it was actually my grandmother's. And so one of the cool things that happens is that as I, as I go and sit in that study, there's oftentimes notes. And uh, this morning as I sat down and I looked at James 1 in her handwriting, she was such a faithful woman of God. It said Bud's cancer surgery, 1992. Bud was my grandfather. He got to pick out his own name when he was seven. And so until he was seven, everybody called him Bud. And I thought through this morning as I was preparing. I thought through about God's word and how timeless it is. And she had the title of a sermon and I forget the title of the sermon, but that God used this word and a sermon from a pastor. 30 years ago now to sustain her through a trial in her life. Some of you may not know I'm a I'm a counselor as well as a pastor. And so I get the opportunity to sit with folks and hear some hard things. Hear some struggles, some painful things. And many times what it looks like is I don't have two chairs. But I get to sit across from someone in a chair whose life has just been turned upside down. One of the memories that I have from several years ago is a man that was in the ministry who came to see me and his wife had left him. She was having an affair. She wanted a divorce. Got a divorce. And one of the things that as I sat with this man, as he sat across from me in this chair, that just rang home true for me is in this, in this moment that his wife came home and told him that she was leaving, his world was turned upside down. This ministry that he felt called to, all of a sudden he was disqualified from. All of a sudden he didn't have an income. All of a sudden, these kids whom he dearly loved that he got to spend every morning and evening with, he only got to see every other weekend. It was so bad sitting with him and hearing him talk about the depth of this hurt and this pain that I would have nightmares that Casey was having an affair and leaving me. Week after week, he would come in and I would wonder, how's he going to respond? Is he just going to give up? Is he going to give in? People respond. Christians respond differently to chaos and to trouble. Some people just white knuckle their way through it. Some people troubles come, difficulties come, and they just get angry. They put their head down and they just kind of work through things. Some people, troubles come, 
difficulties come. And they get crippled with fear and anxiety. And sometimes when people are crippled with fear and anxiety, I'll hear things in that chair. Of that they're taking their current troubles and they're projecting them forward and they use words like things are never going to be the same. Things are always going to hurt this bad. And sometimes when people are going through really difficult, hurtful, painful things. They just numb out life. With substances. With work. Games. As this man came in my office, one of the things that is apparent when you sit with someone in pain like this and you meet with them week after week is that there's a choice that comes to the surface. The choice that comes to the surface that becomes really apparent is this. Is this man going to grow bitter and angry towards God or or will something different happen? Will will something different happen? And, And one of the things I've gotten the privilege to be able to do and to see, and I'm so thankful to the Lord for this, is I've gotten the privilege to be able to sit across from people who go through really hard, really difficult things They don't understand why. They don't understand the choices that their loved ones make or the reality of this world. But one of the things that begins to rise through the fog is the reality that God is with them. And I hear phrases like this. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy, but let me tell you what God is doing in my life through this trial, through this pain. I've heard this from many of you. I was struck this morning as I was thinking about this and I was just struck through about sitting and going over to the Gartman household when Tracy was in the midst of chemotherapy and was just at his lowest. And then hearing him talk through, through that pain, through that despair, what God has done and taught him through that. You see, brothers and sisters, there's something in this book that we are going to spend some time studying that unlocks something so great, so magnificent, that it not only can change you, but it can sustain you as we live in this world. Not only sustain you, but cause you to thrive. When you hear the text read that I read this morning, I begin to think no wonder my grandmother put Bud's surgery above this text. It's fascinating to me that as James is writing this letter, and this letter is different, this letter is different as Mark, as we just got done studying uh, a couple months ago, Mark was a a gospel, it was the narrative story of Jesus, and we learned so much through that, and that book is so encouraging to us, but James is not writing a narrative. James is kind of laying out the now what. 
He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians. I mean, we see from his introduction where he says to the 12 tribes dispersed. We don't really know what that means. We don't know if he was talking about that there was persecution had already started and there were people outside or we don't know if he's just talking about, hey, God's people living in this fallen world and, you know, you're dispersed and God is bringing you home to heaven. It doesn't necessarily matter because in the next verse he says, brethren, he's talking to believers and what James is doing is right out of the gate as the gospel has taken hold and this Christian community is forming. James is writing a letter and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing this letter to help us grow, to help sanctify us, to help make us more holy. And right out of the gate, he can't even get the introduction out of his mouth and he starts to talk about trials and suffering. And look at verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And if you hear any pastor preach on this, one of the things that he's going to say, should say, is that it doesn't say if, it says when. We have all been through things. And we all will continue to go through things. So I thank God and I thank His Spirit for the inspiration of this text and that we get this whole idea about trials from the very get go. And James will come back to this through this book. And I love that he says when and I also love that he uses this word various trials. Because I think that we would have this notion, this tendency to try to read through the book and come up with this like, oh, it's he's talking about this kind of trial. No, James is saying Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Sickness, death, betrayal, the starting of a new school year. Your spouse leaving you. Money problems. We're all touched by this. And we will be again. Sin has changed everything. And we live in this world that is so disordered that it's not like it should be. And it's not like it will be. And while we are alive in this world, things are going to continue to happen. Trials are going to continue to happen. Hardships are going to continue to happen. And James is telling us that in the midst of these difficulties, God is at work making you more like his son, Jesus. Now, something that I think is just real interesting. Jesus tells us when we come across Christians that we will know them by their what? Fruit. And when we hear this, when we hear this on Jesus' lips, one of the things that I often think through is, you know, Galatians and various places in the Bible where it tells us what the fruits of the Spirit are. That I think if we're living according to the fruit of the Spirit, that is, the Spirit is producing this fruit in us, that it's creating in us and we're looking more like Jesus. And this is a process that we are to go through through life. And the fruit of the Spirit is bitterness, fear, joylessness and indulgence. Not right, is it? 
Isn't it interesting that James says, when you encounter various trials, and he says, consider it all joy that we look and say, what in the world are you talking about? And the reality is for a Christian, when we're pressed, when things are hard, what should come out of us? The fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, kindness. I, I really think one of, the, one of the big things that's going on here is that when James says, consider it all joy, he's, he's, calling us, he's calling us to use this as a diagnostic tool for our soul. And what I mean by that is, you know, cars and airplanes and helicopters, fancy cars. My, my older truck doesn't have some of these lights on it, but our newer minivan does. We were driving in the pouring rain yesterday and I hear this beep and this light comes on that is saying that we're sliding. And what it's meaning is that a system of the van is failing and the outdoor conditions mean that we're sliding a little bit. If you're in an airplane or a helicopter and you go through some turbulence and lights come on, it means that there are some systems that aren't working quite right and you need to pay attention to those things. Similarly, similarly, this text is like this warning light so that when we are going through life and the joyless light goes off, there is something wrong. So as we're going through life and we hit turbulence and we realize that we're not joyful, that is just like that warning light that is speaking to us that there is something wrong in that system. The system isn't working right. And James, James helps us out here and points to what's going on. I mean, isn't it amazing? He tells us that even in trials that we should consider it joy. And this is not just perseverance. This is not just like, keep your head down, I'm going to power through this. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about joy. This is also not fake joy. Christians. So often we're filled with Fake joy, or we put on a smile that's not real. One person told me of a student they had in their class one time that would always say, have a Jesus kind of day. Kind of like if you're with Jesus, there's you know, this fake sort of non-trouble Christianity. Uh, we have slogans like, turn that frown upside down. Or maybe when trials come, we should just sing the song, don't worry, be happy. Or for you Bob Marley fans, don't worry about a thing because every little thing or ting, whichever one he says, is going to be all right. No, 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 no. This is not what James is calling us to. James is calling us to real joy in the face of hardships and difficulties and trials. And again... Imagine you're in this chair. Imagine you're at one of the worst times of your life. And maybe you've read, maybe you start to read through James and the question you have is, really? Joy? Consider all joy. 
when you encounter various trials, knowing, know this, Christian, that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Knowing that when the trials come, that God is up to something. That God is at work in you. God is doing something. This life isn't just going on haphazardly. When the difficulties come, what God's word says is that he is doing something in your life. And knowing that God is at work and he's doing something and he's producing something in you, godly character, we should be able to look upon that trial then and say, I may not like this trial, but I am joyful because God is at work in and through me. That we know that he is sanctifying us. That we know in the midst of this trial that he is making us more like him. And so this begs the question is, do you want to be more like your savior? Do you recognize that this is the goal of life? Or would you rather just cruise? This may be an odd metaphor, but it has worked for me over this week. I, I view Christian life kind of like a, a long swim. It seems like to me that one way that we could view the Christian life and this process of becoming more like Christ that he is calling us to is that we we're saved and it's kind of like we're plopped down on a beach. And we're plopped down on this beach and our Savior is pointing us to there's your home. And we look out across the ocean and we see this beautiful island. And that God through his word, through his spirit, his son tells us this is the home that has been made for you. Swim. And it's interesting. Some people never get in the water. We read about these kind of people in the Bible. They never get in the water because any any type of work or effort, they just shrink back and say, I didn't sign up for this. And the Bible tells us that this is proof that they really were not of us. But for those of us who believe we get in this water and we start to swim. And it's not easy. There are waves, there are currents, there are troubles that God is calling us into the deep water. And so many times what we want to do is call for a helicopter to come rescue us. Is there a coast guard somewhere or boat or maybe just roll over on our back and just say it's, it's over and just sink? You see, the problem is Is that God is using the waves and the currents and the winds and the trouble to build something in us. To produce endurance, to develop muscles, to develop the ability to swim. 
so that we can make it to where we're going. And so that as we're swimming to where we're going, the world looks on the world that is sinking all around us. The world looks on and says, how in the world do you swim in the midst of that? What is the hope that keeps you afloat? This is what we're called to. I mean, notice here in this text, some pastors that I've heard preach this text uh, get it wrong. In verse three, it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and they just stop there and they want to have a whole sermon about endurance. But that's not the only thing that's being worked. Endurance is necessary on the journey. But notice what also happens and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete and lacking in nothing. That swimming in this ocean creates in us godly character. It helps us get through this life. Now, a minute ago, as I was reading verse three, did you catch the word there? In verse three, there was a word. Knowing that the testing of your faith producing endurance. The testing of your faith. And how this works is that when trials come, when the waves come. What are you going to cling to? Are you going to cling to God and his word? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to trust his sovereign care? Or in the midst of the trials and the ways, are you going to cling to other things? You see, even in the midst of that, what happens as we fail that test is that we get this readout of where we're lacking. It exposes our idols. The way of wisdom that James so poignantly talks about over and over again. The way of wisdom is trusting in God and his word so that when the trials come and we abandon God and his word. So let's say that we're having financial worries and financial difficulties and we have no joy in our life. One of the things that that proves is that our idol, our God, what we're clinging to, our security is what? It's money. tested we're exposed how do you learn how to swim how do you think God wants you to learn how to swim some people feel like the way that God wants to teach them how to swim when life has been difficult is that he like maybe some of the people who taught you all how to swim just throws you in the deep end figure it out not how God teaches us how to swim. It's not how God wants us to learn how to swim. Some people, I have often laughed at the swimming pool who are teaching their children how to swim, teach their children how to swim this way. They put a life jacket on them, swimmies on them, they give them a noodle, they stick them in a raft and give them a snorkel. And when the kid 50 yards and jumps in the pool, does a cannonball and there's little waves, they're just hovering around making sure that boat doesn't go anywhere. That child is not going to learn how to swim. Here's how God teaches us to swim. And I think the right way to teach your child how to swim, by the way. 
You set a child on the edge of the pool, and you come really close. And you tell them, this is how you kick your legs. This is how you do your arms. This is what this is going to be like. Here's how you breathe. And then the child kind of comes in on the edge of the pool. And then you back up a little bit. And you say, hey, come on, let go. Swim to me. And then what inevitably happens? The child starts to go and starts to go under. And what do you do as a good parent? You just let them sink. Say, oh, you failure. No, that's not how we teach people how to swim. We, we, you grab your child. You take them back to the edge. You point out, hey, listen, that was really good. Except, you know, you need to kick. Remember we said to kick. You need to kick those legs. And then what do you do? You back up again. And you tell them, hey, come to me. Isn't this what God does with us? Isn't this how God is teaching us how to swim? Isn't this the sanctification process? That God is reminding us, here's what I've taught you through your word, through my word and through other people. Swim to me. I'm here. I haven't left you. It may feel that way. You may panic. Don't panic. I am right here. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm not going to let you drown. Swim to me. He's calling us to swim. He's calling us to swim. And he's calling us to develop this godly character. Because it is what is best for us. Look again at verse 4. Let endurance have its perfect result. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, the first question I would ask is that, is that what you want? Do you want your character to be like Christ? Do you want to be growing in Christ's likeness? And then I think the second thing that should come to our minds when we see that is perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing that we should be like, yeah, right. And I think there's kind of two ways to look at this, that I think both are true. One way is this. One way is this, is that, and we get this through the Bible at times, and we get this through funerals at times. But if we were standing on the shore, when God saves us and brings us to the shore, and we look at the island, and we could have a telescope, and we could look down that telescope, and we could see men and women getting out of the water, what we would see is strong men and women who have developed good muscles, character. God has sustained them, and they have grown into Christ's likeness. So part of this, when it says good and perfect and lacking in nothing, is this looking forward towards eternity. But I think there's something else going on in this text as well. I think the other thing that's going on in this text is that when it says complete and lacking in nothing, I think this somewhat has to do with our relationship with Christ as well. That you're right. You're not perfect. You're not complete. You won't be until eternity. But Christ is. So that in the very next verse, 
It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. That we may be lacking, but we serve and we're swimming with a God who lacks nothing and is willing to give us what we need to endure. Towards the beginning of this sermon, as we were talking about this man in my office. One of the things that I want you to hear. And I wanted you to hear as I was talking about him is that week after week, as he would come in and sit in my office. I often wondered. What choices had he made this week? What was going on? In verse 4, it says, let endurance have its perfect result. You, let it happen. Again, this is written to Christians. This is part of the sanctification process. And what it's saying is you, Christian, let endurance have its perfect result. You have a choice in this matter. Are you going to let endurance have its perfect result? Or are you going to kick and scream and rebel against the work that God is doing in your life. I view this really the same way that I view Philippians 2.12. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God that is at work in you. That what's going on as we are going through this process. Is that we have this choice. Are we going to work out what God has worked into us? Are we going to trust him? Are we going to see him as the sovereign Lord of the universe? Are we going to believe what the word says about him? That he is sovereign. That he is good. That he loves us. That he is involved in our lives. Are we going to believe these promises? And so if we are believing in these promises, as we go through these trials... We're not going to resist. We're not going to kick. We're not going to scream. We're not going to give up. We're not going to grow in bitterness. We're going to swim. We're going to keep swimming. We're going to be faithful until we get there. Joy. Consider it all joy. Consider it all joy when we get the cancer diagnosis. Consider it all joy when something goes wrong with our kids. Consider it all joy when the money problems happen at the end of the month. Consider it all joy because God is doing something massive in your life. You're going to trust Him. It's interesting. We're starting growth groups today. And so I, I am bad with time. Not meaning I'm going a lot longer today in the sermon. Just bad with time about knowing how many years ago something took place. I don't know how many years ago we came here and started growth group. But one of the first people that we were in a growth group with was Josh and Hannah Rogers. And isn't it interesting that one of the things that we 
were praying about seven years ago in our growth group was that Hannah's legs would heal. Still there. I think she's more like Jesus than when I first met her. I don't think there's been a month that has gone by in this church where somebody hasn't been diagnosed with cancer. Not everybody has made it through. And I don't think anybody would wish cancer or the difficulties that Hannah has gone through. I don't think anybody would wish that on somebody else. But this strange thing has happened as I've watched some of you battle and endure and suffer. You got some muscles. God has done something in your life. Some of you this morning, your, your brain and your body just doesn't work right. How are we going to handle that? Some of you feel like you can't catch a break. That the moment that you get your head above water, here comes another wave. How are we going to handle that? The waves are crashing and we feel like we're in the deep end and we feel like we're alone and we feel like our systems are failing. I want you to hear your Savior telling you this morning, I'm here, I'm working. I don't leave you. And then we have a choice to make. Are we not going to trust him? Are we not going to acknowledge he is who he says he is? Are we not going to acknowledge his ways? Are we not going to trust him? Are we not going to trust his word? Are we going to follow our own understanding? Are we not going to trust him? Are we going to devise our own path and our own plan? Or in all things, are we going to follow his path? Because his path is straight. Lean not on your own understandings. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And he will direct your path. Now, I want to tell you about a different man. I want to imagine him being in this chair this morning. Real story, true story. This is a man who lost everything. Man who lost everything. One of the most tragic stories you could ever imagine. Lost all his resources. Lost his family. Lost his wife. And his own his own health was failing. And it was interesting because as you, as you know this man, as you look at this man's life, you see that there's a choice. And you see the battle going on. If you, if you were to be able to sit with this man this morning, he would tell you all the worldly advice that he got. And some of this worldly advice, if you were to read it, you would say, oh no, that, that makes sense to me. That's what I do. Then there was this breakthrough. 
in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the turmoil, he heard God's voice in a mighty and powerful way. And can I, can I read you what he, what he says? Let me read you what he says. As he encounters God in the middle of this trial, I know that you can do all things. No plan is impossible for you. Who is this that conceals advice without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. Please listen and I will speak. I will ask you and you will instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent, sitting on dust and ashes. Job, in the midst of his chaos, when he encountered God, when he heard from God, counted it all joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need help. And God, we thank you that you have given us help in your, your book. We're thankful for your spirit who inspired your servant James. And we thank you for this journey that he, this book is going to take us on. God, I pray that it would change us, even this morning. God, I pray that we would be a people that can learn to count it all joy because we trust in what you are doing. Give us endurance. Help us to know how we can be complete and lacking in nothing. We pray for all this in your son Jesus' name.